0: Welcome to Origins, a podcast about the money behind the money. This podcast is created by Notation Capital, a pre seed venture firm. We invest in amazing technical teams in New York at the infancy of an idea. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. This season is sponsored by our friends at Silicon Valley Bank, a member of the FDIC. SVB is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors with a dedicated practice for emerging managers. Learn more about Silicon Valley Bank services at svb.com. David Frankel grew up in South Africa, where he founded Internet Solutions, the largest ISP and private data carrier in Africa. In 2000, David was voted the South African Technology Achiever of the Century, By the Financial Mail. In 2009, he co-founded Founder Collective with Eric Paley, one of the most successful seed-stage firms in the industry, where they've invested in companies like Uber, PillPack, Coupon, SeatGeek, among others. Along with their partner Micah, they're viewed as some of the most thoughtful and founder-aligned investors in the business today. David, we are unbelievably excited to have you here in this makeshift studio in Soho today. Thank you for doing this with Thank you. For thank, you with us. thank you guys. It's Appreciate such a pleasure
1: it. to be here on this rainy day in Soho.
0: Indeed. <laughs> thank you. Um, so I watched a video of you recently. Um, I think it was like the 15 year oh. reunion video of internet solutions. Oh. It was you and your partners. <laughs> I found it somehow. Yeah. Um, I think it was live, right live
1: sparks yes
0: yes it might have been um so that sounds like a great place to start um would love to chat about a lot of your career and starting founder collective but tell us about starting internet solutions i think in 94 right
1: yeah yeah um so you know my my wife and i attended um what i think anyone who knows would know is the most liberal college in south africa johannesburg south africa called the university of the virtual Rund. and um it was tumultuous times. I, I started college in 1989, and it was like it was really the end of apartheid and the birth of a new country. Right. And uh, most people don't know, but but more people were killed in those few years than in the than the the, the preceding decades. It was it was a tough time, and if you were uh, you know if you were kind of involved on college campuses, you were being tear gassed, and there were riot police around and you Know the engineers and the commerce students were a little bit off the mainstream, but right. um, uh, it was it was it was crazy times. The but but I am um, I was just the timing was insane. I in 19, you 1991, know, 92, I had internet access before there was you know oh, wow. Mosaic or Netscape, so I knew what the internet was and a beer uh, on campus through the university. Yeah. yeah, so the so the only way you got internet access was something called Uninet, where some of the colleges universities had had put a network together incredibly low speed you know again no browser right Right. so you know archie and ftp and i was an engine i'm an engineering student and my best friend's brother was a computer science guy and um and we could understand each other my my closest friend and i had started a business together at the age of 15 selling stuff at flea markets and his brother and i would talk about a guy ronnie aptecker right and um and so there was this very natural kind of thing. I went and got a job straight out of university, um, actually working for working as the PA to the guy who started the largest tech company in Africa. Okay. And um, was there a tech community
2: there? Yeah, there was. Was I mean,
1: there was. was there that was, was, that was. But again, that, that tech was you know was just tech. it was PCs, right? Like it was right. you know it was right. PCs. It was like Microsoft was the most exciting thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Windows was the most exciting thing. Um what but yeah there was that a software a career that
0: people considered in Johannesburg oh, yeah, 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 in yeah, university yeah, particularly yeah. engineering. And
1: by the way, IT, yeah, so so yeah. out of engineering and IT, you know, there there was Xerox and there was, you right. know, so the, and they had so the guy that I, I you know, had Alcatel and Xerox. So and he was the biggest manufacturer of mm. Alcatel equipment in the world. And it was a fascinating place to go hang out. But Ronnie um actually in October 93 started really started IS with about, um, I don't know, I think it was less than $1,000. of It was literally less than $1,000 of capital. And my closest friend, Alon, comes to me in um, like – and Ronnie had come to me. I was his first client. I was literally his first Mm. client. I still have the disc that says, Mm. you hold the world in the palm of your hands. Wow. Um, Wow. And uh, Alon said – and at some point, very quickly, Ronnie's back, I wanted out. And Alon came to me. I was working for this guy and said, you know – would should we fund like should we take over and fund Ronnie? Um the numbers were nothing. And I um had a I, I had been lucky enough to apply for and get a Fulbright scholarship to go to Harvard. And I had a two year deferment. I thought that you could go straight from college mm. to business school. Right. Want to get all of it done. It was in right. a hurry. Right. But got this two year deferment, which is a pain, went back and got this job. But I'd fallen in love with the woman who was gonna be who would become my wife. Um, and I went back, I followed my heart, right? Exactly. This is, you know, heart versus head. This is, mm-hmm. right. I literally went back to South Africa following my heart entirely, took this job. Um, you know, while I was, uh, this friend of mine says, you know, we, let's take over the dead. I look at it and go, look, there are two great computer science guys here, but if one of us don't get involved commercially, he's probably not going to go anywhere. Alon says to me, why don't you do it? I'm, I'm at the risk-taking height of my life. Right. right as you you're should be here at 20. I was 22. Yeah. Um, yeah. so like I've got a deferred admit to HBS. If it right. all goes wrong, like, who cares? Right. And uh-huh. I did it. And the one thing I said to Alon is I said, look, can I, and we'd raised a lot of the capital that we had from flea, from the flea market stuff. Mm. And I said to him, can I take the larger share? And Alon was going to be passive. And that was it. And what was Um, the initial
0: plan for IS, like the go-to-market? No, it was radically simple. I
1: mean, this is going to sound crazy, but um, there was a a company called Amdahl, A-M-D-A-H-L, Amdahl Mainframes. um, And... If you owned it, was a huge uh, outlet. Own like you know, governments and government departments and huge corporations had Amdahl mainframes. At some point or another, they made it smaller and you know, kind of newspaper publishers and petrochemical companies. And in late '93, my partner Ronnie had been downloading patches from the internet. These guys um, basically FedExed mag tapes to do the yeah. updates, and he said to a few of them. He was a computer science, uh, you know, graduate who who was consulting to make some extra money. He said, "Look, I can bring this down off the internet." And they said, "What's the internet?" And I got involved at the very beginning of '94. So I quit my job. My job ended up being right. a few months. Quit my job to do this. Became, you know, was the largest investor and the CEO. And um, pretty much what we determined was, if you owned an Amalg, you need an, you know, we could sell you an internet mm. line at like $250, equivalent of like $250 a month. Right. Um, And we just literally went Amdahl after Amdahl. Right. There was no Mosaic. This was right. pre-Mark Andreessen, right? Right. And talk about timing, right? Like in about March 94, right, Mosaic comes out, right? right. So suddenly, you know, pretty soon after, it's the cover of magazines. And we were only selling to, C- you know, we're selling to CTOs, we're selling to IT departments. Right. And my kind of silent partner, Alon, says- um, who's who's just an amazing guy and a, got a great management mind working, he's working with his dad, but somewhere along the line he goes, like, why does it need to be 250 bucks a month? Like, why can't it be 700 bucks a month? Right. Uh we're talking about a lease line. It's right. the same as he, and you know. Do you have competitors at times? No, there's there's hardly really. anything, right? Right. And right. and Ronnie says, No, the market will never bear that. And Alon says, Let's try, right? And you know, we set we set the market price. Um and then you know, again, it just we just caught a wave. So we we, where we started off was like when I said the I'm I'm quitting, I'm quitting the job. I'm not sure if I'll go to HBS because I'm doing this internet thing. Genuinely, like my dad said, like what what's what is this internet? You know, right? And very soon after that, you're on you know, magazine covers and, that. but it this it took you know it, you look back at those times. It took months and years, and ultimately CEOs got interested. Meantime, we started to sell. A lot of lease lines, right? So we, be, we became the UUNet of South Africa. Yeah, right? And very quickly, we had this, one of the toughest strategic decisions to make. We were selling dial-up, we were selling dial-up access as well, AOL style. And what we quickly kind of determined was it was tough to do both well. And uh, over a weekend, sitting on Alon's couch, you know, and walking around the block a few times, it, it was what are we going to do? Let's make this decision. And it was, you know, and I always for say for context,
0: to, like you're still like- We're
1: 23. 20-something-year-old 20 right, yeah. kids, um, right. And I always say to founders, like strategy is when it's hard to say no. Like strategy is when it feels painful to say no. Otherwise it's not really strategy, right? Mm. Um, if it doesn't feel hard to say no because you know that both routes will lead somewhere and you've got sight lines. Mm. And I remember that being this painful decision going like, you can see what the future is, and we're going to miss that. But we were lucky enough, and truly I use that word a lot, to make the right strategic decision in terms of – because the, we, what happened is it became an arbitrage business. Because we were selling a lot more bandwidth, we could buy a lot more bandwidth. And I started to travel actually to rest, most – I don't know how many mm. people know, Reston, Virginia, is the home of was the home of bandwidth and mm. So that was where AOL, Sprint, Global One, right. all those guys, UUNet – And I'd go four times a year and my job was to like buy bandwidth cheaper and the more bandwidth I was buying and then to contract with, and then we sold a lot. And ultimately we did go back into, we had so much band, we went into hosting, which was a very high margin business. So I still has a lot, you know, data center businesses all over the world. We went into, what you had was a small market. So instead of going like, instead of going vertical, like you do in the US where it's tough enough to own that vertical, we went very horizontal quickly. We had a few hundred designers and developers doing websites and e-commerce integration, building the first three bank sites. We had a, a very high margin, good hosting business. We started a security business. We represented Checkpoint in South Africa. Wow. And then what was happening is we were looking further and further afield. And um, I'm fast forwarding, but but right. um, the largest Cisco distributor in Africa was a company called Dimension. And by the way, the first thing I had, I had said to this had guy, you, had you, you ever
0: me. raised any money for the business? Raised it no money. Profitable from day one.
1: So, so, you know, this is the beauty of getting in on the ground floor is you don't have a huge amount of competition right. and you can go at your pace. And the fact was, it was a, it wasn't a gross margin positive it was a net margin positive business right. from day one. Right. You know, it's the best kind of business, you know, you, you sell it for three, it costs yeah. you one. And you,
0: you go to, you go to Western you, Virginia, you yeah. buy some bandwidth yeah, and you, sell And, it you, and, and you, you expand, them, right?
1: right? And the really the issue there is kind of matching the supply and demand curve. It's a simple business is, you know, as your demand curve goes up and to the right, your supply curve is going up alongside it, but in a step function. And sometimes your customers absolutely love you because you're oversupplying and it's fast. And mm-hmm. then they don't love you because it's too slow and you ought to buy more. And how you match that, but it's a simple business, right? right? The 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 complexity actually came. I, I I like to think we were in the venture business from day one because, like this internet thing, you was happening and people were thinking healthcare, banking, everything, atoms to bits, and everyone was coming to see us and saying invest in our business, hoping that they get free free services, and we kept on going, you know, picks and travels to the gold diggers, so hosting, web mm. services, you know, on mm. security, um. But the core driver of the business was bandwidth. The bandwidth was driving a lot of the profitability of the business. And what we found is we had a lot of usage during the day, but because we'd gone corporate, we had all this bandwidth, which you buy in 20, you know, you buy 24 hours at night. And so we pivoted into providing a consumer service, which we ultimately tried to sell to AOL, but Vodafone, so Vodafone ended up buying it from us. And, you know, and, and, to this day, you know, NASPERS, multi-choice, which owns 35% of Tencent, is powered by IS.
0: Your 20 20-something-year-old kids. Your company is basically like a rocket ship, more or less, from day one. Um, at what point, you know, maybe it was when you sold the company. Um, at what point were you able to step back and say, like, holy shit, you know, I or maybe did you ever, like, I'm a... Twenty-year-old kid, I just built a huge company. You sold it to Dimension Data, I think, in maybe '98. Were you ever able to take a step back and realize, like, um, you know, what was happening around you, or it was just like the day-to-day of just keeping the thing alive and growing?
1: You know, Nick, it was it was really the proverbial. Um, I would say '95 was showtime for us, right? Um, I my my now wife was, um, who's, who's a neurologist was studying in the UK for that year. And genuinely people talk about sleeping in the office. Like we did, I didn't, we didn't sleep every night in the office, but we did sleep in the office. Yeah. Right. And that was your whole life. It was the whole, it was, I was living at home. My partners were living at home. Like yeah, we'd, with your parents. You know, we'd, literally <laughs> like we'd move back, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, right. so it was just eat, sleep, drink. And I, and I'd say, that was the year where we were. It's a lens I think of. I don't think people should sleep in the office, but I do think of for entrepreneurs. It was, um, it was very hard to compete with us in that year. Like it was just, just right. that level of focus and work. Forget, you know, who, smarts and that, But just that amount of focus and energy. And actually, the tough thing was in '95, I was in Reston, Virginia, and Sprint offered to to, to buy the business for five million dollars, and I'm in a hotel. And I call my partners, and I kind of, you know, what you? and it was my, and and we talked over the phone. I remember it wasn't a particularly long conversation, and we made the decision to say, "Look, let's keep going here, mm. right?" Like, let's. But it was one of those moments where you go, "Wow, right? Um, that's something, yeah, right?" Sure. And and you just started business, I don't know, right? And we keep, we kept going, percent. but but All look, right, yeah. di- di- Dimension Data had become the largest Cisco distributed in Africa. They were great guys, and they offered to buy they. we we were looking to do something else and they said, let's buy 25% with an option to buy 25 plus one. They valued the business, you know, at a number which our advisors, we were young as our, you know, learned lawyers and that kind of looked at this and said like, dudes, you should take this. Our massive mistake was to give, we really, we were just green. We did to give that option to buy another 25 plus Mm. one, which was at a market valuation, but de facto, we sold control of the company at that point. Mm. And in 97, Um, what was happening was we were, as we were getting broader and we had hired good people, really good, um, ambitious, aggressive people, and we we were we were a lightning rod for talent. And that talent runs dimension data today. Um uh we we were expanding and we were touching a lot of dimension data's areas and we were competing and we were getting irritated with them and they were getting irritated with us. And ultimately we ended up, they ended up making an offer where again our advisors said, look, this is, cra- this is crazy money, right? We were inc- incredibly lucky. And in retrospect, we definitely sold way too early, mm. right? You know, we'd, we'd gone through that, all that hard work, all that right. slog, all that inertia, right. and it happens with entrepreneurs. You know, you're X many years, we have, f- you know, really kind of three or four years into this, but we have given it everything and we were getting tired, and a big number was put in front of us, and it's it's a huge mistake. In some, mm. you know, I, I have no regrets. What it begat was another chapter in my life, which I'm right. so grateful for. But if right. you ask me objectively, right. did, we sold at a really wrong time. Mm. Now, you can't quantify what their brand brought, but but there was another right. So we sold in '97. We signed on to three-year service agreements as um, so I was. Running is and a, and an executive, the global executive for e-commerce. Right. We listed Dimension Data um, on the London Stock Exchange and raised 1.8 billion dollars. It was a FTSE 50 company. Wow. We needed to use that. We went on an absolute acquisition tear. Um, and you know, cr- credit really to the to the founders and management of Dimension Data. They they bought really well um, in Australia and 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 Asia. Bought DataCraft Asia, which was the largest Cisco distributor in Asia. Um, but then I was also dispatched to buy some of the smaller kind of fill-in companies. So we were, you know, running IS and and um, but I was going to Kuala Lumpur and the Philippines and oh. Singapore and Hong Kong, and we were using high-priced currency. You know, the the share was at a seventy-five yeah. PE multiple, and we bought a lot of stuff that we shouldn't have bought in retrospect. And in right. fact, in when we made an a- we made an acquisition. Um, you know, we outbid Compaq. It wasn't even HP Compaq at that point for a business in the US, which, you know, hindsight's very precise. I was on the board. Um, you know, we we were significant shareholders in in Didata. Um, So mea culpa, I was as, uh, and we'd watched this company kind of at a $2 billion valuation and said, we love what they do, but they're too expensive. And then as you were getting to the end of the dot-com, it was getting cheaper and cheap, And we thought we were geniuses and we outbid them. And you know we we basically burned seven hundred million dollars, mm. right um, and learned a lot of tough mm. lessons. Great lessons, frankly, to learn in your twenties, right. but anyway, you know, cut a long story short the you know Cisco crashed, DiData crashed with it. It went from seventy bucks a share to about two bucks a share. Wow. Um, wow. this didn't all happen at the end, but I'd worked out my service agreement. I didn't think I was cut out to be an employee. I stayed on the board. I moved from exec to non-exec. And I was like thinking, what am I going to do next? Took offices, made a few small investments, was bored out of my nut, and literally sitting on the, you know, on the carpet in in the half a bedroom that my wife and I had. Uh, it was eighty square feet, right? Um, it was a tiny apartment. We, right. She was working like crazy. I right. was working like crazy. We didn't have kids, and I'm sitting there. I, I had a tough non-compete, uh, mm. which I which I mm. adhered to strictly, and I was. I wasn't even 30 yet. And I said, like that HBS thing seems like unfinished business. So that that's and a fact, I'm yeah. fascinated by that. I've
0: always actually been fascinated. I think maybe it was Micah or, or someone else um, that told me, but you've built a hugely successful internet company. You've- uh, Took you it know, public. T- took it public, joined the board of Dimension Data. Um, you're you know still in your twenties, you're buying companies on behalf of the company. And then you decide to go back to business school with all the 24 year old kids coming out of, you know, consulting.
1: So honestly, Nick, like I have to say it was naivete as well, right? It's kind of life works in, you know, it's like a constant sine wave, right? Um, and, And sometimes I think those moments of a little bit of existential angst, right? Like you're sitting there and it's like after, like when you used to finish writing exams at college or high school right you know you like think you should be euphoric but there's actually a little bit of a letdown and it's after this and but i give huge credit to the DiData founders for doing that listing i feel like i was a traveler Mm -hmm. um although as i say my partners and i were significant shareholders and that's why i stayed on the you know stayed on the board but but um i'm sitting there thinking i'm bored right and i don't know what to do and i need a shake up and Mm -hmm. this is under my nose and i'll probably regret it if i don't do this so Hmm. I had deferred twice. Then I'd called the office and they'd said, you can't defer again. Hmm. So I had to reapply and I kind of set myself these goals. And once I'm reapplying, I'm reapplying to get in. So it's the only place I'm reapplying to. And then you get in and then you go, Oh my God, I'm actually in. (laughs) Um, So I remember flying over in August, 2001 and, and you know, my wife was finishing neurology, So we were married. She, she was staying. She couldn't come with me. And, you know, I get there and it's exactly what you say, right? It's like, oh my God, what have I done, right? right. Um, right. The first like
0: two, and three I, weeks. And and like, and I, I know is... this now because my wife is at Harvard Business School. So I'm, I'm and they I they kind of it well.
1: It's a bit like boot camp the first three, right. four weeks. They right. try to like really remind you now and you don't have the lay of the land. It's like anything, you haven't figured it out yet. Um, and I'm going to class and I've, I've been in this point where literally I can fly anywhere in the world, you know, do an acquisition or something like, you know, right. free as a bird. And now suddenly you're kind of in jail, right? And right. I, and four or five weeks into this, I met Eric Paley, who we'll talk about, but uh, you know, I, I'd met some cool people that I thought I would resonate with, but still thinking like, oh, this is just not for me. So I go right. speak to a most beloved professor guy, Andre Peralt, who was, I think voted the most, the favorite professor of the right. year for like four or five years. He runs the investment management unit. And he left South Africa when he was 19, went to Stanford, Mm. never went back. Um, Really an amazing guy. And I sit like on the sofa in his office and I like, Oh, I don't want to be too melodramatic, but like head in, you know, head in my hands going, like, I think I've just made a huge mistake. I don't think I'm cut out for this. And he counseled me and said, look, you're here. Like, just suck it up and, and, you know, try, try persevere a little. And he, you know, he was totally right. So, you know, you, you get into it, you end up, I end up going, look, I'm not here to get a job, right? So let me, let me immerse myself. And reasonably quickly, I feel like a kid in a candy store because if you open your eyes and get out of your funk, there, is am- there are amazing people all over right. the place. There are right. people who know a huge amount more than you in lots of different things. they are very nice people, um, which is so, uh, you know, so different to the stereotype. Right. And you know before long I'm meeting you know the very very few entrepreneurs because we you know we joked always that you know HBS B2B means back to banking B2C means back right. to consulting. Right. And, and this is and this of is off off around us, the
0: dot .com so I assume it's Right. So no people one, even yeah it's with, people
1: were done yeah, right and yeah. you know so so again this was not but but my timing was really good and you know, by 2003, I'm hanging out in Spangler with Chris Dixon and Eric and Todd Kreiselman and Victoria Brown. And, and Micah, Micah was in your class too? Absolutely. Yeah, was, Micah was in your And um, Eric and I That's had serie. become… That's a good crew. Such a good crew. Yeah. And, you know, Eric and Micah were looking at, were working on, and, and, and kind of like there's a built-in segue because I thought I would… I thought I would graduate. I didn't know where I'd live, but I thought I'm going to start another company. Right? I, I'm going to get back the bring back the band, and and we we were you know we had talked about this. We were all in different directions. We, you know, some of us. But but the problem with going to business school is, or, or the good thing is, you start to feel like um oh, my friends have all carried on with their careers. They've all progressed, and look at me. Like where am I? So 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 I knew towards the end of business school that I needed to do stuff and and really, I was kind of starting to get pretty anxious about it mm. um, and in fact i'd say post graduation from business school, I went through another one of those existential kind of what am I going to do with my life and it's tough you'd ha- you've had this high and you think you'll never ever get that high again um, and like is this is that as good a, as it gets professionally right, right. and um and and
0: you gravitated to those people because they were also people that were thinking about starting totally startups. so so right.
1: so, so the, or they'd been entrepreneurs right, and i'm you know i'm so 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 Eric and Micah started to think about bronte's in two thousand and three mm-hmm. I think that Eric is I still think that Eric is one of the smartest human beings I've ever met, and just he's my partner, so I'm beyond biased, but smart and funny and just a good human being yep. and just tremendously incisive about how he sees through he sees he has total clarity um mm. and so so i start to talk to eric about well look if you guys are serious about this uh, you know i'd love to fund you and, and this two, was eric and micah this is eric and micah yeah on yeah. on brandies and t- massively to eric's credit is he wouldn't take capital so his he he said he won't take capital until he's found an application and he needs to work at Um, Eric had been at monitor, um, years before he started abstract edge. And so monitor style, literally in terms of some of the tools he'd gained there. And I don't think he loved being there, but he gained tools. Um, he starts to look at kind of vertical by vertical by vertical. And somewhere along the line, he says, you know, I think that this dental vertical, Hmm. um, in terms of, you know, 3d imaging, imaging. yeah, right. But he'd looked at ophthalmoscopes. He'd looked at, they'd looked at every, they'd looked at kind of, um, You know, scanning the ear, right? Mm -hmm. To create custom, you know, hearing aids. Mm -hmm and he looks at dental and he comes back and he said and i say look i want to give you all my seed ca- you know i want to t- give you all the seed capital <laughs> right. you'll take Trying me. to get this deal done <laughs> right yeah. right totally I hear you. yeah Ryan, like, we got to do it i got it and there was no competition <laughs> right, right i hate the term super angel but right. but really east coast right. right there was very you know you could probably people at
0: harvard business school being like oh man david i heard he's he's funded startups like were not there really. people were there like they you know not really no because
1: everyone was like frantically trying to get a job either everyone had a job and they were coasting or they were trying to like crazy get a job right and nobody was starting businesses so they did that chris went to work for bessemer for rob stavis right um i actually interviewed for that job chris got it um and chris and i stayed in touch chris pitched one idea where i said look i I don't think this has legs and then he talks about site advisor Hmm. and Um, I had this kind of honing like this instinct and I, and I I literally flew from, I went back to Johannesburg for vacation. I put all my stuff in storage thinking I'm never going back to live there. Mm. Um, We, we, I get offered the CEO job of dimension data, Mm. um, which doesn't end well, ends in a very disappointing way for me. Basically Mm. the, the founder says he'll become chairman and I'll be the CEO. The, and, in some ways, I think I was a stalking horse for another candidate. Mm-hmm. But I was like, "I'll bring back the band," and and there were people, you know, board members who were very encouraging that. But that doesn't work out well. I'm upset about that. Dixon sends me the the um, the side advisor thing. I fly to New York for one night. I have a barbecue dinner with Tom and Chris, um, and say to them, "I'll give you a term sheet in the in the morning." But I say to Chris, "Stave Promise you once this term sheet you got it, stave us where." Chris says, literally verbatim. I'll, stavis is going to say to me he'll put in fifty thousand dollars of course stavis and you know calls hemantaneja at gc who Mm -hmm. hasn't done a deal yet Mm -hmm. and says i need a boston-based fund they say they'll do it 50 50 i always tell the story to massively to chris's credit chris um you know who is frankel like there's no brand no it's my buddy from business school dixon um goes back to them and pretty much cuts me in in a much much bigger way than they wanted. Right? Wow. It was nearly, I think, you know, I don't remember right. the exact numbers, but like right. closer to a three way split then. Right. And and his loyalty in that, w- where he recognised this is the guy who kind of got the helped me get the ball rolling, was just right. enormous.
2: That's awesome. That's um, a great story.
1: And that started, you know, basically what ended up is is about seven or eight people out of HBS did startups and I funded them. That's hilarious. Mm. So, Defunded the whole batch. And that led Love to it. other people. So, right, you know, right. Uh, you know um, context optional, Kevin Baronblatt, who was in Eric and my section, started context, ultimately sold it to Adobe. He calls me, says, my buddy was working for StubHub, went to London, was looking for acquisitions, finds the acquisition he wants to make. My Stanford roommate. This is exactly how it would work. Um and, uh, and, and then, like, for no reason, the CEO of uh, Stabab says we can't do the acquisition. Unbeknownst to him, Stabab was being acquired by eBay, right? And says, but he loves it, he wants to do it, he, and he's got permission to leave and co- take on CEO, but they need $3 million. And at the time, they were talking to Atlas, which is Fred Destin and Sonali, yeah. and said, you know, Atlas is dithering, I literally fly to London, right? And, uh, you know, uh, give, give Andrew, you know, gave them $3 million, right? And we ended up selling that to Ticketmaster. I mean, so not all of these things went smoothly. And then Todd Kreiselman, who, you know, who started Media Radar, one of the best media SaaS businesses um, in New York still. I'm still on the board of that company, but classmates. So there was an amazing bunch of Classmates. And that led to, before FC, we, we made 27 investments, 14 right. of which had come from Chris,
0: Wow. That's amazing. Wow. Um, so I wanna talk about uh I know you only have twenty-five minutes, so um I do wanna talk about founding uh founder collective and 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 how that finally came to be. Um at some point did you realize when, when did you realize, hey, I think maybe I actually really like this investing thing? And and maybe, you know, was that because it was your friends? Is that because you thought maybe you'd make some money? Is that hmm. or maybe all of the above? I mean, yeah. at, at at what point did you think of that as, oh, that's, this is actually right. my next career.
1: So, so this stuff's all happening organically, right? I am, uh, I think in retrospect, I'm probably pretty manic, right? Um, coming out of business school, doing this stuff, feeling like I have really lost out to, I, and I didn't feel like those that, that was a waste of time. I just felt that professionally I needed to catch up and accelerate and I was competing against myself. Right. Um, but, but at the same time, I had started. I had a partner in South Africa, and we had, with together with IntelSat, we had raised um, non you know non recourse debt to fund the building and and um, launch of the first Africa only satellite for for Backhaul Cellular Backhaul. Um, so we had that going. I had funded two very close friends to start um, a construction uh, and real estate development business uh which beca- which became a, a significant business. Um and so I was you know, I was going in many directions, but I was loving what I was doing in the US and increasingly I was coming I was I was come spending more and more time in the US. And and Nick, to your point, it's it's all about the people, right? Mm. I would be in such a high. Mm. I would fly in, hang out with Eric and Micah. I would come to New York, be with Chris and and it was and this part of me that that I would start another business, I felt like vicariously I was getting that high through some more, I would say like five or six or seven businesses into this. I started mm. to feel like, mm, like the odds of me starting a business are starting to get low, mm. but I was loving my freedom. And mm. Chris, Chris probably in about 2007, 2008 said, you should raise a small fund, mm. right? He was more familiar than me with what people like Mike Maples were doing right. on the West Coast. And he kind of said- I don't think he used the term micro fund, but he said, raise a small fund. And at the time I said like, Chris, I'm moving too fast in too many directions and I'm too conflicted, right? To, But I'll tell you what happened is again, organically.
0: As not you felt like what you were doing was maybe too opportunistic for like a more traditional venture firm?
1: I felt that, that I couldn't do that at the time I just couldn't do venture alone because I was doing, we'd started a real estate development business. We had the satellite. The satellite business was, was again, very opportunistic because of what I knew from IS in terms of buying satellite capacity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really our partners um, included shareholders in IS who, uh, and, and IS had committed to capacity. So the satellite business is very simple as well. It's real estate in the sky, right? All it is is, you know, you go to the bank and say, so let's say there are 18 transponders and you've pre-sold six of those transponders to very good credit, you know, so to Vodafone. And so, that you know, it's their credit, not our credit, right? Uh, you're signed. It, it's, like, it's like, you know, me saying to Macy, you know, I've got a building and I'm saying Macy's is taking a third of the space. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so on the back of that, we go to the bank. But I felt like I was in a lot of stuff. Anyway, this is fi- five years after we graduate rolls around fast. Eric um, Eric, and Micah have sold Brontes to 3M. Chris had sold um, side advisor McAfee right. fast and started Hunch. Um, I was coming by that point, by 2008, I was, I came to the US more than 10 times in, in 2008. Um, and kind of each trip was the same, but I was spending a lot of time in the US. And at our reunion, Eric has worked out a, a fair amount of his service agreement. He is getting offers from... Um, bain from charles river from idg and he says to me um you know he 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 was looking at the the early returns and the irr had been really good and eric says to me let's look at doing this Hmm. and i think that and that was hugely catalytic you know i remember like you know having never thought about it but eric said look if you would think of doing this full time and like literally not you know you you can obviously what is what you've done you've done but you know, going forward, it's right. founder collective only. Right. It wasn't called founder collective, and going back and chatting to my wife, and like every other decision, right? You know, it's never binary, right? It's like fifty percent, fifty one percent, and my wife and I at some point looked at each other and just said, "Let's do this," right? And you know, so so I think I think that's the best way to make deci- Maybe the only way to make these decisions is you go, look, what's the downside? What are, what I have to lose? But if you if you have the weight of your the world on your shoulders, so we moved the family. I mean right. we literally this discussion was in August two thousand and eight. We made we told our parents, every we told our community, um, we made plans. And meantime, you know, the world's turning this the world's turning right. very right. dark. Right. Lehman, right. Lehman right. goes in like September, October, right. right? Um we had um LPs, we had a massive high net worth family and you know one of the three best university, one of the three best known university endowments in the world who'd each committed each said i mean they hadn't signed but they'd said we want to give you 20 million dollars and i remember the trip eric and i hit the road you know as a kind of you know let's see what's real in december and we go out west to that university at stanford and, um, and I knew John Powers, who was the head of the Stanford Management Company. Well, and he sits and he goes like, we're doing nothing, right? Wow. This is December. Wow. The family says, the family is a multi-billion dollar wow. family. We're $20 million and pretty much they say, look, we're, you know, we've got a lot of debt to service and we don't know where we're gonna be. And again, I look at my wife and we say, like, we've got stuff in motion. Anyway, one February, 2009, we arrive in Boston and Eric and I hit the road and it wasn't easy. And starting from scratch again, basically, pretty much starting from scratch. I tell you the the the, the big diff the, the big thing is, I said I would I would kind of seed it. I, mm-hmm. I said I would personally commit, mm-hmm. um, and I think without that, the, the our biggest LP wouldn't have committed. Our biggest LP had said to me, "Whatever you put in, I'll match." Mm. Um, Even with
0: your track record as Entrepreneurs, even with your track record of so, the last five, six, seven years. So as, here's the thing is, as an investor, just because just of the time, or because micro VC at the time was kind of new and difficult for people to understand. I mean, so the
1: timing was off. Q1, right, 2009, right. you know, owners of capital and institutions were just not doing much. Yeah. right they were sitting on their hands be, just trying to work out what, what was going to happen to the world right i mean it's easy to forget like the the depths of the financial crisis and the fear and um and you know people had made really bad mistakes I and mean, people had made bets that were in the normal course and they were really really hurting so the big institutions the big endowments were you know you look at like harvard was down you know 40% mm. right? right or more um and I remember that, like, you know, the MIT guy we called, and he said, "Look, he said you can come see me, um, but I, I tell you, I'm not giving you a cent." Whereas <laughs> right. know, other institutions, and you're like, uh,
0: "Okay, I'll, maybe <laughs> look, I'll see you next time." Right, right.
1: Yeah. I think, I, and I remember putting it on the phone and saying, "Eric, like, you know." And in retrospect, he was the good guy mm, because right. it was all the other people who spun our wheels right. who were in the exact same position, right. but were not going to give us money. But took the meeting anyway. But took the meeting because that was their job, right? Mm-hmm. So their job was to be opportunistic, mm-hmm. you know, options junkies. And I'm, I'm cognizant of that as from us as VCs, right? Sure. Is, yeah. you know, never be an options junk Because when you've gone through it a few times, right? And we went through it many times, like, and we all go through is yeah. is don't, don't do to others, you know, do, you know, literally the adage right? that you don't want done to yourself. Um, but we, we cobbled together, um, you know, much less than we thought we would. Um, probably a third of what we had thought we would do right. in, in right. Like, you know, the difference between Q4 and Q1. Um, and we looked at each other and said, let's go. And so mm-hmm. with about 32, we went, mm-hmm. we did it. and um, And then we closed a bit more. And ironically, again, um, you know, that tough time when nobody had capital, the fact that we closed that first 32, it's incredible that we did, you know, we did um, definitely Uber, Trade Desk, and Coupang in Mm -hmm. 2010. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we did Seat sorry, we definitely did SeatGeek Mm -hmm. in 2010. Mm -hmm. Like if I look at- um, some of the fund one movers in 2010 and it wasn't, we were not valuation sensitive. We were not, it's just, we were deploying capital. Right. And, you know, amongst in a community where there was less capital at the seed stage. Yeah. Right. Where, where series A guys, you know, you could eventually, but you know, really at the seed or angel stage. Yeah.
0: So let me ask you a question about found or, or at least how you thought about founder collective to start. Um, because the firm, I think, is unique and contrarian in lots of different interesting ways. So, you know, it's you and Eric, but then you have this group of founders around you. Um, you uh, you don't do significant follow-on in pro rata, which is very different than a lot of the other early-stage funds in the market. Um, there's lots of things that, I think, make Founder Collective a little different. So I'd love to hear at least in the early days, how you thought about those different components of the firm?
1: Yeah, so... So, you know, I've been involved in businesses as an operator where you go on a tear and if something works, you kind of retrofit, retrospin the strategy. Like mm. I remember talking actually, to the
0: Actually, la- the last one, I just, I looked at my notes, I, you know, you just actually had a post about um, not being so dogmatic about themes, mm. yeah, well, which is maybe that. like, right. you yeah, know, yeah. Every, in, a, in a world in which every venture firm now is required or, you know, pushed towards being more thematic. You seem like maybe you're going the opposite way. Right. So, so I'll
1: talk about strategy sure. and themes. Sure. So on the strategy side, you know, what I was saying is as as an operator, I've I've gone on a tear in a direction. You don't know if it's work and then I've spoken to analysts and and, you know, you retrospin the strategy, right? Yeah. You say like you spin yeah. it, right? Because you never had you right. created a, create a narrative we,
2: that wasn't necessarily there yeah, when you were looking
1: for it. Right. Forward. Like and it's right. easy to kind of you know fit it together right. and and you know, kind of be a little bit reconstructionist in a way. But right. um but FC really wasn't like that. What and, and I give huge credit to Eric. Um what Eric did is Eric looked at Eric said, like, why have you generated the returns that you've returned? And honestly, like I kept on personally, right. right? right. And I kept on thinking about this and we would have these long conversations. We'd have these walks together and he did a better job of a way better job of discerning it than I did. And some of what it came down to was I'd put in the seed capital and then, and you, you're going to recognize this completely. And then the A would happen and, you know. Fund X would come in and they'd want twenty or thirty percent ownership, and the um, founder would call me and say, "Look, please, if, if you're okay with it, don't take your pro rata, Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm trying right. to cobble this right. together, right? And they're being insistent, and you didn't want I didn't want to be a jerk, and I didn't, especially didn't want to be a jerk where I wasn't living in the same city, and I was dependent, highly dependent on those entrepreneurs." To, to say, look, this is this is a reasonable guy. I didn't want them got walking around. I didn't want to be a jerk, and I didn't want them to have the reputation of being a, a jerk. So I would step away from my prioritis. Sometimes I'd go, look, I'd take a, try to take a little, but a lot of the time I was stepping away. Mm-hmm. So by definition, I wasn't taking, not because I didn't want to, but because because I was being squeezed out. And what we started to recognize was if you did the math, um, that was generating returns, right? That you were capturing 80% of the retur- returns or more Who know, from, from the, the first, first check. check. Right. From the first check. Right. And um, and Eric very quickly said, A, I think we can capture a lot of the returns from the first check. And um, I think we can be distinctive, right? I think that we can be different. Mm. And I looked at this as much as an LP as a GP and went, w- what I genuinely think believe will, will get me, um, you know, give me the highest return on this fund. And a lot of what Eric, and again, huge Eric started to articulate was resonating. And in fact, fund one, we had zero follow-on policy. Mm, right. what, what we found in fund one was, so we said we had no no reserve, right? Um, you know, most funds two to one, three to one, one, we had zero, and what we found was that our, the companies that were in the most pain, that really needed us, were actually getting. We we, we were writing rescue checks. Mm. In fact, Trade Desk, amazingly, right? right? We were writing. A, we wrote a rescue, pretty much a rescue check. No one else would write it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so by fund two, what we did is we said, look, we will we will never lead a Series A because because we don't believe we can go out and say, you know, and really, it re, it really is. It's it's absolutely our our motto our rallying cry um, is uh, we aspire to be the most aligned fund for founders and you cannot be aligned if you're not economically aligned so um, so what we said is we'll never lead an A and if you if if there's no room for pro rata we won't take it mm-hmm. right you can crowd us out and that is contrarian I I think there are yeah. most investors investors still look at that and go and we've got this view that you know, hindsight and the rear view mirror is very precise, but you have to have a strategy. And I think that that comes from being operators and going all the way back to what I said at IS is you've got to make some tough strategic decisions to stand for something. Mm -hmm. And so have there been painful moments when one of us has a lot of conviction around a company? Um, I can tell you series A, series B on PillPack. Time will tell whether I was, you know, we we were right or wrong, but but having a solid strategy lets you stick with that. Do you want me to talk about themes?
0: Yeah, yeah. <coughs> talk, talk about that just for a sec, because that's
1: yeah. So the themes is is a, a, a lot but, of this comes I, and from. And I ask that because you know
0: we we just raised our second fund, and so the uh, very fresh in our minds of LPs really pushing us, and I think every other venture firm in the market to be highly thematic. And how we approach our business. Interesting. So I asked yeah. that question from yeah. having yeah. just recently yeah. received pressure around it.
1: So I think people ultimately kind of end up doing. We're gonna send them at you. you the <laughs> yeah. Send them, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Or refer to this podcast, yeah. at least. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely, no attribution necessary. <laughs> yeah. um, I think I think that we all end up defaulting to doing what we love doing right? I think that's true of, you know, as a manager, as a, as an entrepreneur, you know, you'd often want people to, to, to do stuff. And and the classical one is like the amazing salesperson who ultimately, you know, you promote to the sales manager, but you know what, they're a terrible manager, but they're great salespeople. There's lots, or fantastic coder who, you know, becomes a project manager, doesn't work out, right? People default end up, and I love people, right? I love, and so So I I use the people lens. I really, the people lens, Mm. right? I I kind of go like, has this person got what it takes, right? Mm. And, And then clearly that's nowhere near enough. And then in terms of the context and the margins and at, you know, if this thing is like, you know goes gangbusters what are the actual margins in the industry what does it look like mm-hmm. and eric and micah micah who is the most recently operational of the three of us he oper he carried on operating brontes for 3m so he stayed right. on you know for years after eric um eric and micah are very application driven right and they're they're like what's the application hmm. so We've looked at tons of Bitcoin opportunities Mm. and each time we've fallen down, not because we don't think that this is a fascinating radical technology, um, which can be, you know, outside of financial. So we just go, what's the, is the application truly compelling, Mm. right? Even is the carrier, even, you know, is it truly compelling? And each time we've fallen down. So we are, we are insanely application focused. But I've also the the anti thematic for me personally comes from just having obs- it comes from experience to, to, and uh, the 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 and the experience is when I was at business school RFID was hot and nanotech was hot and then clean tech was really hot and I watched one guy who's done fantastically well well waste six years of his career at least I think you hmm. know pursuing clean tech right and. Um, And now it's, you know, Bitcoin or AI or, you know, data science, you know, it's hot, hot, hot and valuations go up. Mm -hmm. And what happens is the difficulty is I think that people declare themes and declare that as like I'm going to be the expert over there Um, and they they chase deals and all this amazing people doing, you know, so, so, and so it more, becomes and a more, choice. There was a
0: point there was, it's, it's more uh, many times, particularly amongst the venture community it ends up being more marketing than, so, so, than, right. than substance. And,
1: and I think, I think the other thing is, look, uh, David Scott at matrix has done an, an unbelievable job with SAS and, you know, Matt Harris has done, you know, in terms of financial services yeah. at Bain. And there are times where I envy that, um, that degree of focus and think, look, they are the best. And everybody know they stand for that. So people send them deals in that space and they know exactly what to look for and they're ninjas. Um, I don't think you can be both stage constrained and vertical or theme constrained. I just mm. don't think you can. And mm. we have made a conscious decision mm. to constrain ourselves by stage. Mm.
0: How do you see Founder collect- or Collective evolving in that, you know, you fast mm. forward to 2017, the market looks a hell of a lot different than when you started. And um, if anything, in some ways, it seems like you've been most successful when you go find like fringe areas that maybe other people don't realize are so compelling just yet. Um, Certainly that was the case with IS and and then Founder Collective. Um, The word is out. There's a lot more VCs. There's a lot more capital in the market than there was yeah. in 2009. So, h- how do you think about founder collective um, competing today and and into the future? Given that,
1: look, you're, you're the my usual when I'm asked how's it going, my usual answer is I'll tell you in five years time. Right. But you're asking something different. Um, we 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 consider ourselves to be the luckiest guys on 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 the planet. We fund three. Uh, we kept the same size and we and we actually crowded out LPs because we became we've always been a large LP we've always been in the top 2 or 3 LPs but we became the largest LP um, and so we are, we've we've completely drunk the Kool-Aid as you say that being said this is this is a hugely busy environment in terms yeah. of the amount of capital so the I think it's never there's never been a greater time to be an entrepreneur And, um, and just the ability to start any, you know, literally anything. Um, So discerning the signal from the noise is, is tough. Um, But I think, you know, other than the principles I've spoken to you about, the principles of going, look, look off piste, um, look for these exceptional people, right, who have shown that they're exceptional in some way or another and come and pitch something that is different. Uh, I think that the ability to accelerate those people, uh, we've, we've gone through these waves. Uh, we've gone through internet was a massive wave. Mobile was a massive wave. I would argue cloud was a massive wave. Um, and I do think that AI and data science and data engineering and deep learning is one of those waves where we're at the beginning of it, but it's changing. And people who, you know, companies, and people who have access to those tools and can really use those tools. And, and again, this signal noise will have a discernible advantage. So I think that we're, we're, that wave is starting to form. So it's an incredibly exciting time to be in this business. Sounds dangerously like a theme. <laughs> you know, I it's it, it's like calling the internet a theme, right? Sure. What I would sure. say is it's a, it's a tool, it's a movement. It sure. literally is a wave, right? And there will, like every one of those themes in the past, there will be lots of money lost. Um, but it's using all about
2: the application and right, how it's right. used That's, and what the end is use is finding you know. someone, it's, not, you know, I it's think, not the service of the technology. Right.
1: So I think if you look at from healthcare, literally to towing, right. To tow trucks, right. To, you know, how we turn th- go through turnstiles. The fact that you buy a ticket in a turnstile hmm. on the, hmm. I'm going to leave here and jump on the subway. Like hmm. the fact that I'm still doing that and not just like, not even taking my phone out, but walking, I, I think like, everything is open and up for grabs and and ultimately that is why the three of us sit in this room and do what we do because if you don't do that, if you're not if you're not like enthused and passionate about right. that and going yeah, you know it's like I'm walking down the street and I'm going, oh my god right like actually if that happens and yeah I, I think that could happen right <laughs> right 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 and right. that's so so as long as I feel that way, I'm very right. bullish about the next five years do I think we can capture? some of the returns that we were able to get in 2009 I think it's a real long shot right I think it would be really really tough hmm. but it's fun
0: Just <laughs> to crossing our fingers <laughs> yeah um, thank you so much David uh, uh, this was yeah.
2: fantastic we really appreciate it this podcast was created by Nick Charles and Alex Lines partners at Notation Capital Notation is a pre-seed venture capital firm We invest in amazing technical teams in New York at the infancy of an idea. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. We'd like to thank Silicon Valley Bank for sponsoring Season 2 of Origins. At SVB, the bank, of the world's most innovative companies and their investors, its experts help innovators, enterprises, and investors move their bold ideas forward. Tap into the experience and connections of the Silicon Valley Bank team for advice on strategic, operational, and tactical issues, and limited partner insights. Silicon Valley Bank is a member of the FDIC. If you liked this episode, please share and remember to tag it with hashtag OpenLP. We'd also like to thank Ben Glawe, who is our amazing audio engineer. You should work with him. You can find Ben on Twitter at visible underscore sound.